Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by invoice to go I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the US, the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Hi guys. First, before we get started, this episode is actually airing on Australia Day. So for the badass Aussie women in our Female Founders Network, we appreciate you and happy Australia Day to you. And today we're speaking with Stacey and Lorraine, the founders of Minnow Designs, an Australian-based company that seeks to end the search for sensible and quality beach footwear for toddlers and children. These two have had an interesting journey from women in high-stakes corporate positions to designers, business owners, and mums. We can't wait to dive in with them. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Stacey and Lorraine. How are you guys today? Hello. I'm very well. I'm very well, too. Beautiful. As we have both of you on the line, can you just introduce your name, who you are, so we know which voice is who? Uh, I'm Stacey. I'm the one with the thick Australian accent. Mm. <laughs> and I'm Lorraine and I have got the Northern Irish accent. Oh, well, welcome. Both beautiful accents. <laughs> yes. Really? <laughs> <laughs> she means me, not her. No, I mean her. <laughs> Do you know what? I, people actually tell me, because there aren't that many Americans here, so people are like, oh, I love the way you talk. And I'm like, I hate the way I talk. <laughs> so we all feel yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you guys have a an adorable company, quite frankly. Um, Thank you. And a really, really cool one. So you both have uh, unique stories to tell. So I'll just say maybe Stacey, you'll go first and tell us how you became the woman you are. Yes. Uh, I started my career as a marketing manager in fast moving consumer goods. Mm -hmm. So lots of brand and marketing um, goodness. And uh had a couple of babies, met Lorraine um, whilst I was pregnant with my first baby and we both decided that uh, it was bonkers to go back to these um, big corporate careers with lots of travel. Yep. Um, and we started a business together uh, back in the early days of e-commerce, just a jewellery label that we were buying, we were buying in product from uh, Korea and... Um, huh. And learned a lot in that business. Uh, I then went on to found a digital marketing agency, which I, uh, I ran for several years. Uh, and in the sort of meantime, we sold the jewellery business. Mm -hmm. um, Lorraine is a designer and she'll tell you more about herself, but she was kind of bored with uh, not being able to design anything. And and uh, we started Minnow as a bit of a side hustle and, and ran that through. Um, and, uh, yeah, now that's taken over my life. And Lorraine, how did you um, become the woman you are today? Well, I guess I started off in a very different place, obviously, you can tell from my accent. I'm, I'm from Northern <laughs> Ireland and I actually studied um, knitwear design. So hmm. jumpers and, or sweaters, if you're mm -hmm. from the US, mm -hmm. um, and ended up working as a knitwear designer in Hong Kong. Uh-huh which is where I met my now husband, who yeah. is Australian. Uh -huh. And uh, we moved back to Sydney. And I still worked as a knitwear designer, but it was very, 
you know, it's very tough here in Australia in the fashion industry anyway, mm-hmm. never mind um, a very hot climate trying to <laughs> design jumpers. It just didn't really go very well. Oh, yeah. um, so whenever I had my um, first child, like, like Stacey said, I was sort of, I was really losing the love for working in the fashion industry and really really wanted to own something myself mm-hmm. and and really just follow um you know work for myself and, and and make my own decisions rather than having to um sort of do what other people said and, and sort of follow um decisions that maybe I didn't agree with yeah. so uh, when whenever my husband actually introduced me to Stacey whenever Stacey and I met and I guess we realized that we had very complementary skill sets with my design background and, and Stacey's marketing background we really thought um, that we could make a good team and if we found the right product we could uh, make a go of it and and that's that's I guess how we ended up with Minnow. Wow yeah I was gonna ask was it like business at first sight when you met or (laughs) was it something that you kind of discovered over time with your conversation that you could actually be quite complementary business partners with each other's skills? Yeah it was actually very early on in the piece wasn't it Lorraine? Yeah I mean I think there was lots of conversation that was I mean we we had been friends um you know, Stacey and her husband and myself and my husband, we sort of hung out a lot. And there'd been lots of chat over the years about our jobs and um, I guess how much of our energy they took up and, you know, whether it was really the lifestyle that we wanted going forward whenever we had a family. And, you know, eventually we just sort of spoke about it more and more. And then I think it was actually my husband, to give him credit, at a dinner party one night that said, why don't you guys just do it? You guys are, are perfect to work together. And yeah. we had a bit of a aha moment. Oh, that's so great. And now and here you are today and you've and Minnow Designs is little shoes, but they solve a real big problem actually for children <laughs> on the beach. So this must have been something out of your personal experiences together with your kids. Do you want to tell that story and how yeah, about. definitely. So Minnow basically came about whenever Stacey and I um, had our first toddlers each and we were at the beach one day in Sydney. It was a scorching hot summer's day um, the kids wanted to get down and play and run everywhere. But because the sand was really hot and there was, you know, um, sharp little shells and pebbles everywhere, um, it was it was really difficult. Stacey and I just wanted to chill out and have a chat, but we kept having to chase the toddlers and pick them up and console them and it was it was pretty much on that the day that we were like surely there's something we can put on their feet we wanted something that would protect their feet but would be soft soled so it would still let them feel the ground as they were learning how to walk Mm. and we realized there was nothing out there and reef shoes existed but they were really ugly they're really cheaply made they they were designed for bigger feet really um they, they weren't designed specifically for a small developing foot mm. and and they weren't pretty. We were young mums and we wanted to put our, you know, our babies into gorgeous things. We spent a lot of money on their swimsuits and their hats and there just wasn't anything for their feet. So we we pretty much decided at that moment that we were going to fix that problem and, and develop um, the first minnow toddler beach show. So do you think that your background as a designer then basically helped you take the leap to make the product and see this as a business opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you're trained as a designer, you feel that you could pretty much turn your hand to anything. So I was actually really excited 
to to get stuck into into designing the shoe and, and sort of solving the problem mm. and also I was really excited to try something new I mean I'd, I'd never even thought about shoes before so um you know I'm a bit of a risk taker anyway so I was like yeah sure we can design shoes let's do it but it was I guess it was really Stacy and her skill set that really helped um help grow it into a business because I very much think product but Stacey very much thinks big picture and business and how can we monetize this and how can we sell this and um, how can we, you know, package it and deliver it to the customers in the way that it's going to be successful. Yeah. So Stacey, what was your um, sort of thought process behind how you would package it to the customers and the brand and, and everything like that? Is that something that you led or did you discuss that together as well? Uh I mean, all of our decisions are, are made together. Um, we're quite good at kind of pulling apart the, the nuts and bolts of running the business. But in terms of the decision making, we're, we're very collaborative. Um, so it's sort of hard. It's hard to say for certain. But uh, I was very open to taking the risk and failing. When we first launched, we uh, went out with just a hundred. Sorry, we went out with just a thousand pairs mm. in a few sizes, and I thought we'd sell those to family and friends and draw on a little bit of uh, my digital marketing background to sell those through and just sort of see how they landed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, you know, she's kind of overselling my skills when she says that I had a big vision um, in the early, <laughs> in the early stages. <laughs> yeah, in that, that first season, it was really, let's just throw some mud at the wall and see what sticks. Mm, but also, can I jump, sorry, I just yeah. want to jump in there. <laughs> As a product person, it's it's very hard to put the product out there. So I was very much like, oh, it's not quite right yet. It's not quite right yet. No, no, I need to. Whereas Stacey was like, no, you've got to do it. You've got to put the product. We've got to get the product out. We've just got to give it a go. We've got to, you know. So we have lots of this in our sort of in our working relationship. Um, yeah, Stacey's my view is that the, and, yeah, 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 my yeah. view is that the consumer will tell us what's working, and they're the most important person in the in the kind of conversation. So. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so true. Like there's, there's a saying in tech that if you, um, release the, if you're proud of the first release that you, you make, then you've not, you've launched too late or something like that. And I think (laughs) that's something that, yeah, if you're a perfectionist as a, as a designer that you are like, that's, that's naturally how you would be is to want everything to be like absolutely perfect. But how was the, um, how was the reception of the shoes when you released them then? What, what were your customers saying on that very first batch that you brought out? Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that it was. A, <laughs> I'm hesitant to say that it was a runaway success, but we sold through that first thousand pairs much faster than we were expecting, and then um, we. Uh, one of the things that we did, and this was a you know a, probably in hindsight we wouldn't do it again, <laughs> but uh, we sent some pairs over to Amazon in the US uh, just to kind of see how the biggest marketplace in the world would respond and uh-huh. sold through those virtually instantly. Yeah. Um, and, of course, then set up a whole market full of competition for ourselves before we could really kind of catch our breath and, and produce some more. So, wow. um, yeah, the <laughs> the feedback was really positive from Australia and from the US right from the get-go. Interesting. So it was like it was this short term success of selling out, but actually it created a bit of a problem in terms of competitors. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You're a you don't go to those big big mass marketplaces if you don't want to 
you know, create a whole bunch of competition for yourself. Yeah. So the people basically saw how well your shoes did and then they kind of copied them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so are you guys are you guys in the um, I know you're popular in Australia. Are you guys in the US market again now or? Yes. So we uh, we focused on Australia for several years. We took the product to a trade show here, uh, sold out that range really quickly, um, you know, took on 100 retailers in a couple of months and 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 that did really well. And in this at the same time, we're running the e-commerce channel. So it took us a while to and at the same time, we were also running other businesses. So Lorraine had a knitwear studio. I had the agency mm. and uh, we were sort of flat out. We went to a couple of trade fairs in the US, in um, Las Vegas, and where was the other trade show? Miami. Um, yeah, Surf Expo. Uh, and got some really great feedback from US retailers. So we we sort of thought we'd step back from the business, caught our breath, decided I sold my agency. Lorraine wound down her studio and we went, we didn't actually go full time into the business until mid 2018 or late 2018 actually gotcha um and it was at that sort of point where we went okay we're going to expand geographically mainly because the seasonality of the product means that we sell well in summer and you struggle to pay our bills in winter Mm. um so we chose a you know northern hemisphere market and the u.s made sense given that we had that feedback from amazon and we had got some insights in that market um yeah, so we went full-time late 2018, took on a round of funding 2019 and then went, right, excellent, full team of people in the US, invest heavily in this market, ready for the US summer, bang, summer 2020, kicked off in March <laughs> this year. Oh, no. Yes. Oh. Uh, so that just threw a massive spanner in the works. Um, yeah. So th- we are still expanding internationally, and and I can I can talk about that that a bit more um, if you're interested. But um, yeah. yeah, the uh, we you know it's been an interesting year. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this year has been such like but to have your plans derailed as well when you're on an upward trajectory is mm. also so frustrating. We'd, we'd love to hear more about your international expansion, but I just want to rewind a little bit to the first few orders and the production and how that will happen because we've got, we've got a lot of listeners who are starting businesses early stage and like really love to know kind of, you know, the, the gritty details of how things happen. So obviously you've got a marketing background, Stacey. What was your mm. marketing plan for launching this product? And why? What was your go-to-market? Yeah. Um, very much, uh, as, as I said, you know, I didn't have any kind of preconceived ideas of, of um, what features and benefits would resonate the best or um, uh, what uh, uh, consumer, you know, um, what consumers would respond the best. And that's the beautiful thing about social media marketing is you can actually get those kind of responses in real time. So I had a list of features and benefits and a list of potential target audiences. I built some ads and just ran hundreds and hundreds of tests. So what's, what, uh, messages are resonating, what combination of messages are resonating, what pictures, what 
audiences. And then it wasn't until year two that I had a kind of a clear plan of um, how we were going to go to market. And, you know, we adapted the product, the packaging, the website, you know, the way that we sold everything uh, in year two. Yeah. Wow. That's smart. So you did a bunch of little tests before you, you went to market with your paid stuff. Did you, um, did you use organic marketing or influencer marketing at all as a tactic? Yes. So that was kind of a two pronged approach. We did, uh, Facebook ads. Um, I don't think Instagram ads even existed at the time. Mm. Um, but we did Facebook ads and then, uh, we, it did a kind of a uh, scalable influencer marketing campaign. So okay. invited some influencers who we admired from an aesthetic point of view and, a, you know, who kind of gelled with our values to um, become our brand reps. We sent them product and, and got content in response and also feedback. And, you know, they're, um, the beautiful thing about using influencers is they are very tapped into what um, their fans saying so they can then give us feedback and help us refine the product and the messaging wow how good is that Mm. yeah the mommy influencer thing oh my (laughs) god it's so overwhelming it's it's overwhelming it's such a big opportunity for products that are like you know child-based or mama-based but also like some ways it kind of messes with your head because you're like how is she so perfect (laughs) oh my god yeah we we (laughs) the month that I have to trawl through Instagram to find the latest influencers I you know I I I definitely why does my why isn't my whole house brown (laughs) why is it not more beige (laughs) linen oh I'm in that dreaded like like third trimester of pregnancy now and like of course I'm I'm bombarded with like pregnant models who like look like they just ate a sandwich and they're like oh I'm 35 weeks today and you're I'm like oh my god I was that big at like four months <laughs> we were the same to understand yeah gotta love it Instagram I think that's a really interesting point though about how if you're working in social media and influencer marketing how that actually affects your own mental health when you're looking at things mm, and like you're constantly true exposed mm. to this idea of perfection yeah. um and that's yeah. measurable there have been great studies that have actually demonstrated just how uh harmful seeing these idealized pictures of bodies and life and babies really are yeah right yeah but um back to kind of like the product side of things with with the feedback that you're getting from the audience and from influencers audience how much of your designs then changed or how were they affected by the feedback that you were getting yeah what did you change was it your product your price point was there were there other things well i guess we've been on a bit of a journey since we we launched that first shoe i mean we were very constrained in the early days because we were funding it ourselves um, and we we didn't know how much to produce or how much the product was going to be um, uh, how it was going to be received. So it, mm. it was very small quantity. It was very small um, size range. We started off with just a small, medium, and large, um, and very quickly realised that um, that actually made things difficult because people were emailing us saying, you know what shoe size is a small, what shoe size is a large. We were yeah. like, ah, maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> so then the following year, we we changed to shoe sizes and we, we, we had a little bit of more money. We were able to add in a couple of extra shoe sizes. And what we were finding is we were getting repeat customers. And obviously, as their kids were growing, 
then we were having to grow the product range because, right. you know, they'd want the next shoe size up. And our kids were growing as well. And our kids grew up with these shoes. So as they grew, we, you know, we also had to get bigger sizes. Yeah. Um, we had a learning probably second year in that once the kids sort of hit a size, um, let's say seven, six, seven, mm. they, they probably became a bit too rough for the soft sole. Mm. And we were having issues with, you know, just wear and tear of the fabric base. So we then had to go back to the drawing board and um, sort of find a sole that was suitable to make the shoe more durable, but also mm. still keep true to sort of the swimmable beach shoe that we were trying to um, trying to design. Yeah. So that was a ma- that was a massive change. And also to do that, I had to source a new factory, which um, in itself is just huge a lot um, of work and yeah a lot yeah. of work and and very very hard when you're manufacturing offshore um I always like to work with suppliers that have been recommended to me mm. um you know through friends in the industry or whatever but mm-hmm. um it's also really hard because your volumes are still really low and you sort of have to do a lot of begging to get them to to, mm. to work with you and to manufacture for you and also to do all the development for you because that's expensive as well yeah. so um yeah we're, we're continually um adapting and improving the product um and yeah making changes all the time and, and we're always listening to our customers too it's really important a I, you know I would never put a product out there that um, it's not something that I personally would spend money on myself and see mm-hmm. value in. Um, and also, we, you know, we want our customers to love our product. They can keep coming back to us year after year if, if they love it. And, and that's what we want to see. So, mm. yeah, listening to your customers is really important. Were yeah. you ever worried when you were offshore, like producing things offshore, that your designs could easily be counterfeited and then copied? And if so, did you have any kind of like kind of copyright agreements or anything like that in place yeah look that's a massive problem but that's a massive problem industry-wide I mean mm. for anybody working in fashion or product it's it that's it's out there yeah um I the way we set ourselves up was we really wanted to be um like a fashion company we wanted to come up with our own designs and colorways that were new and fresh every season and that's what keeps it new so I actually I don't mind if somebody rips off you know, a color that we did two seasons ago because we've already changed the product a little bit and we've already brought out newer, fresher mm-hmm. colors and yeah. prints. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think keeping yourself, um, you know, just, just to keep moving forward and to keep changing mm-hmm. um, keeps you one step ahead of the, the people that might want to copy you. And like they say, like, you know, it's, it's the it's the best form of flattery whenever people want to copy you and yeah. you just have to keep yourself sort of ahead of the game really yeah I yeah. think that's great advice and good to bear in mind yeah like and, don't worry about and the what other thing doing. with mm. yeah and the other thing with the copyright is um we can't we can't patent the shoe it's it's a shoe it, there's there's nothing about it that's different you like you know you couldn't patent a jumper yeah but the designs themselves do belong to us you mm-hmm. know we have all of our specs and all of our designs dated from when so if if anyone was to copy them you know we've got all of the um the proof of when we designed it so we could always fight that but yeah that hasn't come up 
Yeah. I like how you have a little bit of a local flair. Like, I don't, I'm wondering, I mean, I'm seeing there's like, um, you've got like a cactus print and I'm obsessed with this florality print that you have, this little sandal for, for little girls. I'm shopping for yeah. little girl stuff for the first time ever, you guys. So nice. that's, nice. that's <laughs> half, half of the reason. But then you also have some prints that are a little bit more Aussie proud or Aussie kind of local feeling. It was that That's right, yeah. intentional because you saw like people kind of ripping off your idea in the US. You're like, well, we'll, you know, kind of stick to our heritage a little bit more, like the cockatoo. I think it's definitely intentional because I'm so inspired by Australia and the lifestyle yeah. that we live here and just mm. the, um, you know, the amazing environment that we have. I think we're so lucky to be here. And, you know, even paint play was sort of inspired by Australian landscapes and just, you know, big, bold, bright colours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think being an Aussie brand is really really important to us I say that with my Northern Irish accent which is hilarious but I you know I have I have Aussies as kids and being an Australian Australian brand and selling that story is is really an important part of our our branding and I think um sort of being being proud of the culture that we have here and you know the animals and the landscape is something that's really intrinsic to to our brand. Yeah, no, so, I love that. Yeah, and the cockatoo has been our bestseller this year. That has just... Oh, um, it's such a beautiful yeah. shoe. There's a cockatoo shoe. There's a kangaroo shoe for those of you who are fans of Australia. Yeah. I'm you having a little half Aussie, half American myself. So <laughs> I need some <laughs> of these. Definitely need all of them. <laughs> I need nice. all of them, every print. Um, so I want to find out about your Shark Tank experience. Yes. Because we've not had a, a guest yet who's, who's been on Shark Tank. What was it like? Was it scary? Tell us the story. Everything. Yeah. Stacey, do you want to tell us this? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm not sure if we're supposed to tell the truth here. Uh, <laughs> it's been long enough ago that we can. Um, so we weren't actually supposed to be on Shark Tank at all. We huh. only had 24 hours notice um, that we were going to be on. Uh, and they were pretty clear from the beginning that due to the fact that we had such a short period of time to prepare and the sharks had no time to really prepare, that we weren't really in the mix for investment, that it was going to be purely PR for us. Oh, wow. Um, and they they do do, even though they only had, a, you know, 24 hours notice. So that's why, you know, we didn't have our roots done. <laughs> slapped on some bad makeup. Um, you know, you um, got to do what you got to do. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They did actually do a good job of preparing us. So the production team are, I think, quite conscious of the fact that it is a very stressful environment and it can make or break a business. Um, Mm. uh, So they were, were, you know, quite tender with us um, and guided us through quite professionally. And for us, we sort of went in with the attitude that, look, we could humiliate, we would, we would, like we, you know, we know each other. We were like, we we are definitely going to humiliate us on national television here (laughs) Um, but you know it's any we knew the history of Shark Tank is that even the chokers their sales go through the roof for you know the 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 couple of weeks surrounding Shark Tank so um, and that certainly proved too true for us so we thought look if we choke we choke but uh, we're doing it for the sales (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've heard that a lot of people go on it actually intentionally not to get investment, but as a mm-hmm. PR opportunity. So um, would you say it was, well, obviously you said you had lots of sales. Was it worth it then? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we're, we are very, in hindsight, 
it's excellent that we did not get investment. So mm. we ended up closing around less than a year later a much higher valuation with much better terms than, than what we went into Shark Tank with. And we learned so much in that year about investment and, you know, we didn't even know what a term sheet was and we went on Shark Tank. So um, it, was, it, was ex- it was a great experience from a PR point of view. It was great experience just from a life point of view, like saying you can go on Shark Tank is a nice, you know, nice thing to talk about yeah. at parties. Uh, and, and it did start that journey for us in, in getting investment, it, you know, kind of with our appetite. So it was, it was an excellent, it was an excellent experience. That's great. I mean, yeah, really inspiring. And and I think you've had quite a lot of like press, like good press from it as well. Like I saw that you were in the Daily Mail and um, ha- must have had a lot of it, like extra exposure. Never read the Daily Mail comments, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a definitely a piece of advice to take away from this. That is yeah, actually, yes. hate, I think the other like way to say that is like haters going to hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you weren't originally thinking about investment in the beginning and obviously you like bootstrapped your own growth and and self-funded what was the kind of process of the decision behind eventually going for investment and what are your goals now yeah so we went to uh after we went to those couple of trade shows in the u.s and got some good feedback we then joined an accelerator um through she scales global uh that took us to um Uh, New York for a week and it was this very intense week um, and in it was the opportunity to pitch to VCs Hmm. and we just the journey that we were on we were there for the connections we wanted to speak to retailers we wanted to you know make friends with Americans who could introduce us to the right people Uh, so we weren't there for investment but the other participants were and we thought look we'll just go along to these pitches with a deck and pitch just for the fun and the experience and you know it'll make it'll make us better business women mm-hmm. um, and you really have to we knew that we, you really have to interrogate your numbers before you do anything like that so um, we did that and the investors were all really receptive we thought you know we were there with gosh, this clever girl who had a drone that she was selling to the US military, you know, like really interesting stuff. We thought, you know, they're not going to be interested in a kid's beach shoe. (laughs) Um, And they were really, really positive. And, And we just thought, gosh, you know, we could grow so much faster with not just money but smart money maybe this is this is something that we should pursue and and so we came back from that accelerator and within sort of six months we'd we'd uh completed a cap raise and and um got investment so that's awesome I mean like congratulations as well but there's definitely pros and cons to getting investment aren't there so has has there been any kind of moment where you now have to like answer to your investors that you wish you didn't have to have or is it worth it for the fact that you've been able to grow so much faster and have that backing? Yeah, I think if you vet your investors carefully before you bring them on board, um, you so and and we did, we wanted we wanted smart money and we wanted people who were supportive and as women we 
you know, we wanted to vet anyone who was coming on um, as an investor because we know, you know, we'd heard from other female founders that investors could talk down to them and be quite patronising. So we were really careful about who we brought on board Mm. and they have been nothing but supportive. They're they're an absolutely glorious group and they will bring introductions to us and, and do what they can to grow the business as well. So we, you know, we've heard the horror stories and, and, you know, there's we've had friends who've been victims of investor malpractice, and and you know, there's we know that those things can go on, but we have been lucky. So, yeah. So, do you have? I'm just I'm seeing that you've got like a second product here. Well, not second product. You've got several products, but a second type of product, which is this like twistable, indestructible sunglass, <laughs> sunglasses set, I guess, for for kiddos, which I think is really, really smart. Do you guys have um, other new plans to bring additional products to market or are you solidly like sticking to the shoe game for a while? No, we definitely have plans to bring to bring other products in. I mean, the the sunglasses um, were really sort of the first accessory that we mm-hmm. brought on, and it, that's actually by um, an American brand that we discovered when we were in the US at trade shows. And we're you know we're we're very big on supporting other small businesses as well. So and especially um, it was a US product that hadn't sort of yet reached Australia. So that's why we sort of took them in and ranged them as part of our store. But we do have lots of plans for other minnow products. So we've recently launched the dry bag, which um, is the perfect sort of complementary product to the shoes because it's exactly the right size for little kids to pack themselves and carry what they need for their day out at the beach or the park. You know, they can put their wet clothes in it at the end of the day or they can just keep their valuables dry during the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they've got the same prints as our shoes, which... If you buy a pair of shoes or sandals with the print, it's very easy to then just pop a dry bag and a matching print into the basket. Mm-hmm. And um, they've went really well with our customers that like to, to gift. And at the minute, our product range is very much um, a summer range. So mm-hmm. we're definitely looking to, um, you know, moving that into the winter and, and to what products we can add in there. And I guess, you know, Stacey um, and I sort of, we are our target customers. We are the busy moms that are out and about all the time with our kids. We're right. constantly thinking of products that will make our life easier, that our kids would love. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what we very much look to to bring into the brand. So, yeah, watch this space. We do have have lots in the pipeline. Yeah, it's so exciting. <laughs> and I've just seen as well that you've got blue light glasses. How did you kind of come up with that idea? And well, again, that's part of the sunglasses range that we've brought in from the US. Mm-hmm. Nice. So we just, we saw that and we, you know, we're all about getting kids outdoors and, um, you know, being in the fresh air with their family. But let's face it, they do sit at home on their iPads and that's what they love to do. So, um, you know, if we can give them something that, that helps them stay protected while they do that, then, um, yeah, we'll do it. So we thought the glasses were a great idea. Yeah, and I think it's really smart. And you've also got your audience. You've got like your trusting audience of busy mums. So you're able yes. to serve them even better now with this like extended range of products. It's really yes. smart. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If someone's listening to this and they're thinking of starting a product range um, from scratch, just as you've done, what would be the biggest piece of advice that you could share with that person? Um, I'd say go big. We, uh, there's, it's completely pointless to invest all of this time and energy and brain space, mm. um, 
into a business if you're not going to go as hard as you can. Um, sort of get, you know, so my, my advice is really get out of your own way. We put on our vision board um, at the very beginning of this that we wanted to be in Nordstrom in the US and we just yeah. signed that contract. So, oh, you know, along with, wow. yeah, along with a couple of, you know, US military contracts, which, mm-hmm. you know, again was just us kind of throwing it out there into the, you know, into the world and, and hoping for, you know, kind of being prepared to be entirely humiliated but, you know, <laughs> hoping for the best. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so we've, you know, I think part of the reason that we've been able to grow is is we are good at keeping our ego in check, which enables us to, you know, take, take some bigger risks. Um, so, yeah, decide early on what sort of business you want to run. We have a really clear idea of our exit plan, what the valuation of, uh, you know, that we want to achieve when we exit, uh, what we want to do after that, you know, what we will and won't do in the interim in terms of, our, our, you know, in line with our values. So um, just, you know, be really clear about what you want up front, set a big goal, um, yeah, because if you fall short, you're still going to reach further than you would have had you not set that goal. <laughs> that's so true. I think that, that's really great advice. Thanks, Stacey. And Lorraine, have you got anything to add? Um, yeah, I do. And I guess this really will probably sort of emphasise the differences in Stacey and I and, and, and what we think in the business. Where I, uh, I would very much say get yourself some really, really good suppliers and really understand the complexities of mm. bringing a product to market and the supply chain because it's it's all very well to say yeah I want to design this and you know bring it over to Australia and sell it but the um, the actual doing of that is is really quite difficult and you know paying for that paying large amounts of money to people mm. over in another country whenever you know just you're not there God, yes. mm. um, is, is really quite stressful. Um, yeah. So get your get really good suppliers, build up really, really good relationships, spend a lot of time investing in those relationships because you don't want to treat a supplier like rubbish, basically, because then you end up getting rubbish. It's really important to treat your suppliers well and build up that working relationship. Mm. And also understand that um, a product business is very, very different to a service business. Like you have to almost just get get in there and, and sort of get dirty with it you, every day we're we're working on the tools we're like we're still in the warehouse we're still you know just doing everything because yeah, yeah and you've got to be prepared for that yeah mm. rolling your sleeves up and really getting stuck in it I guess, never ends mm. <laughs> yeah oh yeah. this is such a great interview and so insightful and full of amazing advice for um, so many business owners and founders where can we find you if we want to where shop. can we shop these little the shoes? shoes yeah <laughs> uh so online is the best place uh at www.minodesigns.co or .com.au depending on where you are in the world um but the .co will get you there uh anywhere um yeah beautiful brilliant oh thank you so much for your time both of you we've loved speaking to you I'm obsessed with your product. I think Nat's about to buy your entire website now. <laughs> I love how I said, where can we shop? And like the entire time we've been chatting, I've been like browsing. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Have that a good was excellent. Fun. Stay in okay. touch. Thank you. Bye. Bye now. Bye. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by Invoice2Go. 
We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere, at any location around the globe. We're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current U.S. pay gap sits at around 19%, listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just enter the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.